Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Dinner Podcast, where birders talk birding. I've wanted to talk with my guest for this episode, Frank Izagari, ever since I read his bio on the ABA website and learned that Frank is a PhD candidate in English, and that his field of study has been the role of field guides in conservation. This caught my attention on several levels. First, many of the young birders I know seem to gravitate to fields of study more in the sciences than in the humanities. There could be a lot of reasons for this to be the case. Many individuals who have a bent towards the scientists are attracted to birding, maybe. Or maybe young birders gravitate toward a field of study that they hope will allow them to do more work in birding-related fields. I wanted to talk with Frank about what led him to a Ph.D. in English, and how he related, how he thought about relating that to birding. On another level, what birder doesn't love field guides? I know lots of friends with bookshelves just overflowing with field guides. They're a way to study, a way to dream of birds to see, places to go, and in many cases are just flat out beautiful. But a topic for a PhD thesis? I wanted to hear more about that from Frank. Frank is also the editor of the ABA's beautiful periodical Birding. I wanted to hear about his role as the editor and learn What's up in the ABA? Well, I hope you enjoy hearing from Frank as much as I did talking with him. Help me welcome Frank Izagari to the Bird Banner Podcast. Frank, thanks for doing the podcast with me today. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're in Pittsburgh wrapping your day up. I'm I'm still at one o'clock out here in Tacoma, so uh, <laughs> midday for me. Yeah. yeah, Frank. One of the things I've I've read about you bio on the ABA website and d- different things, and I have to say, one of the things that struck me as interesting uh, is that you were an English English major, English got your PhD in English, and I thought, gosh, most of the birders I know they seem to gravitate towards science backgrounds, you know, in biology or ecology or conservation or whatever in their major in college. Uh, how did uh, how did English appeal to you, and and yeah, how that come about yeah so thank you that's a that's a that's a question i'm really glad to be able to to answer and to talk about and i really i really could talk about it probably for the whole episode so um uh it's 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 really good and insightful question um so okay so the first thing that i'll say is that i could i could probably like okay i did take biology courses in college because as you suggested um that's what many people who are interested in birds or wildlife feel that that's kind of what they're supposed to do uh and you know for many people that that probably is the right path but um but I personally I didn't it's not that I was bad at them but I didn't like them it wasn't it just I mean, I wasn't great at them either, but it just wasn't, it wasn't like they were too hard or something. I do like to have a challenge, uh, but they didn't, there was something about those classes and that path that didn't really match my brain and my personality and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to get better at. I didn't want to be thinking about birds and wildlife quantitatively, um, especially not as a professional. Meanwhile, I mean, this, you know, in some, to some extent, it might just be the result that I went to like a small liberal arts college and you could do this kind of things. I was taking, I was taking some science classes at the same time I was taking English courses and more like humanities type courses. And one of the courses I was taking was a nature writing course. And I was really excelling at that. And I was just so interested and I always wanted to do um, more uh, and learn more and like keep reading more books and like do my own kinds of writing and experimenting 
And um, I was just very excited and very like compelled um, by that, by, by the field, even though, you know, I knew that it's like, okay, you know, like nature writing, it's like a career path, like good luck, you know, but <laughs> I knew, I knew that it was going to be a difficult path for me, but that was what felt right to me to pursue um, and then, you know, I, I did a master's degree as well. Uh, my master's is an MFA in creative writing at, um, at, uh, that's how I ended up in Pittsburgh. Cause I, I went to Chatham, which is a small, uh, like a relatively small school here, uh, that had a described program in, in, in creative writing that had an emphasis in sort of like environmental writing. Um, uh, and there's a few like that, but I really like Chatham's program and that was, that, that that really felt like the right path for me as well. And I met my wife in the program and now I'm in Pittsburgh. And I really like Pittsburgh. Um, and then I decided to do the PhD too um, for a few different reasons. And I went to WVU. I actually haven't quite finished the PhD yet. I'm like finishing up the dissertation because uh, it's like, it's, it's taken too long. I think that's fair to say, but you know, I mean, I had a daughter and um, so I have, you know, that's been challenging. Congratulations. And, and thank you. My daughter's two years old. It's really fun to to be with her and to, you know, that's been amazing. And, you know, there was a pandemic and I had some personal health challenges too. And, um, but I'm finishing, I, I'm, I'm working, I work on it in like a really crazy way to like finish it. Cause, and, and I got a job too, which is like awesome because I got a job, but then I have like a job, you know, <laughs> it's hard to like get across the finish line, but that's okay. I, I am working on it. I work on it in like a really, I have kind of a, 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 a crazy schedule, but it's been working for me and my family. I like, I work on the dissertation from like 8.30 to 10.30 and I like drink a cup of coffee and I have a cup of green tea and that's how I can like do it. And it, it like, you think it like keep me up all night, but I'm so tired from like spending so much time with my with my child and just like doing my job that it really doesn't. So I don't know. I've been making some good progress. So I'm, I'm going to, I need to finish it up because I'm going to time out. But um, I, I, I've been my, you know, my, my chair says I'm doing good and I'm going to get there. So that's been really cool. It's like mostly written. I just need to kind of like stitch some parts together. Um, so anyway. So Frank, so, let's, let's a lot of listeners probably don't know what your PhD uh, thesis is about. Uh, I, I do because yeah. I read a little bit about you. Fill people in. Yeah, sure. So my my project is about field guides. So I am approaching field guides as a literary critic. And I'm trying to answer the question of what do field guides do? And I look at them from as many perspectives and as broad a perspective as I can. Um, and so, you know, it's been a really exciting project for me because I know a lot about field guides as a birder and someone and a naturalist. Uh, and someone who's just generally in, interested in birds and wildlife, et cetera. But the way I come to, so I bring that knowledge with me, but I'm not talking about field guides as a birder. Um, I'm talking about them as a critic. And there are a few scholars who have done critical work on field guides, like Spencer Schaffner has this really cool book called um, Binocular Vision that um, critically examines field guides. Um, we The birding reviewed that back in the day when it came out rick rick wright actually wrote that review um so some listeners may even remember that but um not a lot of people have worked but not a lot of scholars have looked at field guides so it's kind of like it was nice it was a nice choice because it's not what i originally intended to do uh when i decided to do the program and the program i was interested in it because it has like um 
it, it what it's one of the better programs um for for like eco criticism there was a few scholars on faculty uh, including my chair that are like notable eco critics so that was a good match for me too uh and so uh yeah so so that that's the project very cool i uh, i had a chance to listen to i'll put a link to the to the youtube uh, video that i watched this morning of you kind of talking about kind of a summary of your work uh and mm -hmm. there's some pretty pretty fascinating things i mean i think field guide field guides to help you just know what bird you're looking at or what right, plant right. you're looking at i mean that's right. that's as far that's as critical as i get of field guides are yeah i think the 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 art is great in this field guide i like sibley's field guides because they have the flight pictures and they talk about the flight in addition yeah. to just the the static field marks and stuff but i hadn't really thought about the history of field guides and and you brought up you know you wanted the proto field guides and things it was pretty cool stuff and and how women were just the really the original field guide writers were women uh mm -hmm. in large part and uh they were it was kind of an outlet for them to you know be scientists and be uh activists cons conservation activists and stuff so it's yeah. With, without without saying that's what they were doing uh so it's yeah it's that because that wouldn't have been proper uh so it's pretty cool stuff and i'll encourage people to listen to that i'll put a, a link in the podcast notes but i thought that was pretty cool so you have you. looked you have looked at field guides inside and out uh do you mm -hmm. have as a birder do you have a favorite field guide that you you would you know you you like to use yeah so on some level i i you know i love them all but as like a birder, as a birder, to answer mm -hmm. the question, as a birder, I've always kind of been like a Nat Geo guy. Um, I just, I, I don't, I don't even know why. I just, you know, it has a lot of additions, and I got it at a you know formative age, and I just liked it. And you know, I think, I, I mean, I think what happens to a lot of birders is like, you know, you have like, maybe you'll sort of like switch allegiances at some point, but when you have like the, the first field guy that you really like, kind of like 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 bind your soul to and you like you start mm -hmm. like making notes in like, yeah. those marginal spaces yeah, exactly. and like checking it off so and th that's like kind of the one that you marry or whatever yeah i hear <laughs> and you so, and so I, that happened to me with nat geo so i love the nat geo um that's kind of my go-to but you know i mean like i look at sibley too and i look at other ones too uh and i and i have like a lot of them and all of the big ones probably um maybe not the most recent edition of some you know i think i do actually have so anyway um that's that's probably my my like go-to field guide yeah, yeah. not geo it is my go-to field guides are, are can be very personal uh i i my wife got me into birding and she uh oh, cool. she, she kept uh, this is a long time ago and she kept she had an original hardcover golden guide as her field guide that she used as mm -hmm. her her record space. I mean, she taught me how to. I thought I thought the way everybody kept their life list was by circling the little name and the field guide and pointing to what they saw in the pictures and and writing the county and the date and the place that you saw it in. She taught me all that stuff, and I thought that was. I just thought that's the only way to do it. I I'd never met another birder uh, for a yeah. long time, and uh, we were we were fishing. And birding at McGraw Pond in Oakland, Maine, where I where my family uh, has a camp, and oh cool, and we were trolling along, and she dropped her field guide overboard, and oh, it went no. to the bottom of the lake in about fifteen or eighteen feet of water, and she's just <laughs> devastated. It's like her, you know, her Ooh. her her diary, you know, her life's yeah. diary almost, and so I. 
you know, I, I, I stripped down and dived to take about 10 tries to dive to the bottom of the lake. And I finally retrieved her field guide off the bottom of wow. the lake. And we spent the rest of the trip drying it out one page at a time. And I, I, she passed a few years ago, but I still have that field guide oh, and, uh, wow. it's, it's, it's really cool. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, sorry to hear about her oh, passing. Yeah. That's a great story. That's a heroic effort. Good for you. That's great. No, I mean, not That's so cool. much the effort, but just how important uh, yeah. uh, a field guide with all of your notes. I mean, it's her travel diaries, where she's been, where she, I, yeah. she'd, she'd say things like, I know, yeah, I wasn't there. And I think is 72, 73. Let me look. Oh yeah. That's where I saw Lash Lai Bunning. That's where I got my lash, life Lash Lai Bunning. I know when I was yeah. there. Things like was that. That, so, that was the Chan Robbins book. No, that, that the was the, uh, I don't know, who, the old Golden Guide. Golden Guides were, I started birding probably in 1981. And Golden Guides were the cheap, almost a, a children's version of of books. But she started using that because at the time she started birding, mm -hmm. Peterson was the other field guide that was out. Yeah, And Peterson at that time had all the black and white uh art in the middle of the book and the text mm -hmm. on the outside and the maps at the back and they were just hard to use mm -hmm. uh and golden guide was one of the early ones that came out with in the sort of more modern format they were in color mm -hmm. they had mm -hmm. you know the description on the left and the pictures on the right uh that sort of format and so yeah. and, and so they're easy to use yeah i've heard a lot of um or, you know, a fair number of birders that are a little bit older than me sort mm -hmm. of say that about the Golden Guides. There's like a whole generation of birders that, you know. Yeah, they were. Those guys they, very, they were. They were very formed. They were very uh, influential. On my first day of birding, I was at the Everglades when Kay, Kay asked me if we'd go to the Everglades. And she told me she was a bird watcher. And I didn't even know. I mean, she, she was kind of on again, off wow. again birder. So you go to the Everglades and we start, we, we're walking around the parking lot, looking at birds, sharing her Bushnell 730 you know and and uh and uh look at this pileated woodpeckers and all these oh. cool birds and yeah. and i said yeah i think i could i could like this birding i want to get a field guide too so we wow. walk into we walk into the the ranger station there right at the at the entrance to the everglades and they because yeah. they have a, they have a bookstore there and i go in and they have a golden guide there but they had the brand new peterson the first peterson with color plates and the pictures on the same you know pit Checked on the left, pictures on the right. It was like just maybe a year old or a few months old. And so I bought wow. them. And and they had, I think they still have that. It was this nice, flexible paperback, you know, high quality paperback sort of binding. I don't know what you call that, but it, it was mm -hmm. really cool field guide. I still I still have uh, that field guide with many, many notes written in the margin. So it's, wow. uh, yeah. so I got my first Peterson and I used Peterson and she used uh, the Peterson Eastern version uh, and she used her golden guide for years and years. So field guides, I have a lot of fond memories about field guides. So that was the other yeah. reason I reached out to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so, uh, I have so many things I have to say. First of all, I love the Everglades. I actually am from Miami originally. Oh, okay. I used to love, and that's, you know, one of the main things that I miss about living in South Florida is being able to go to the Everglades and some of those other really cool wilderness areas in South Florida. You know, I was, when I visit my parents, I always try to, to go, but um, I, I know that area well. And I, and I really, I, you know, it's very close to my heart. Um, so it's cool to hear your story. Um, and also, it's so funny, like with um, most, per my personality, I get stressed out about buying things most of the time. Mm -hmm. But 
The big exception is when I'm in any kind of like, like a, like a, whatever the right word is, like a nature store, usually mm-hmm. in like, a, you know, if it's like a national park or a, a refuge or something, I'm just such a sucker for like all those products. It's really hard for me to like go through those and not buy like a ton of things. So like, <laughs> I just like really felt your story. <laughs> it's just, it's very, yeah. Field I've been there are, so many times. Yeah. 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 Field guides are definitely cool. Uh, so tell me your birding story. When did you get started in birding? So I started birding when I was 12. I went on a family trip to Yellowstone National Park, another, you know, really mm-hmm. great park. And I loved that trip so much. But when I was on the trip, I was very interested in mammals. I wanted to see all of the cool mammals that are there. And I like I kept a list, actually, which I still have. I like rediscovered it in my childhood room after many years of like the, you know, I had seen like weasels and I, you know, I saw a lot of the big things um, like saw black bear and and stuff like that and uh, moose. Uh, and I was very, very excited about that because like South Florida doesn't have a lot of big mammals like that, that you can see. There's a lot of cool things to see there, but not that many mammals, especially big charismatic mammals. And so that was just so exciting for me. And I loved that. Uh, and I just wanted to keep doing that. And it was, it's kind of, this might be like funny for people to hear, but I was decidedly like uninterested in the birds you know like when i was looking at books of yellowstone wildlife it's like okay like a great gray owl that would be cool if we saw one of those or maybe like a bald eagle or something but that's like a magpie you know even like gray jay i was like eh, you know okay i guess i saw one of those <laughs> you know <laughs> but then when i came home i wanted to keep looking for wildlife and for animals because it was so exciting to me and um i learned that South Florida had a reputation for being a really great place for birds. And I was, you know, when I first learned that, I was like, oh, well, that's too bad because birds aren't interesting. (laughs) But then, but then there was in front of my parents' house, one day I saw a bird, a bright orange bird, and I wanted to figure out what it was. And it was a spot-breasted oriole. So that's my spark bird. And I oh, figured wow. that out. And that's like a very unusual, you know, not, not that many people, at least in the ABA area, have spot-breasted oriole as their spark bird. No, and I guess so, not. Yeah, yeah. So that was cool. Because, you know, there's like that small little population there. Uh, and uh, naturalized population. And um, so so then I started getting into birding, you know, and I, you know, was at like school and I saw swallowtail kites and stuff like that. And yeah, a lot of my, none of my classmates really cared, but I just thought it was like such a cool thing to see swallowtail kites like fly over my middle school. And so that's how I got into it. That's my origin story. Yeah, cool. And uh, did you continue birding through college and uh, have been a birder ever since? Or you've been an on again, off again birder? Um, I. A little bit of both in a way. Yes, I've always been a birder and I've done, you know, done, you know, been birding since then. But there were some times where it was like a little bit less and sometimes where it was a little bit more. Um, in college, like my freshman year, I actually had a professor who was a birder, a really good birder. Uh, and he got me some really great life birds. 
Um, and, but then like, I didn't quite do it as much the other, I didn't have like a, anyone to do it with really other than, than him, but you know, I wanted to interact with my peers and stuff. And, um, I didn't have a car also. And, but then at some point, like a couple years after I finished my undergraduate degree, it like kind of clicked. Like I'm just, I've, I've, you know, I've messed around with some other hobbies and it's not that I dislike them, but birding is my favorite one. And so I want to like go hard into birding. And so, um, yeah, so at some point it really became like my go-to activity and I really cool. dedicated myself to it. Yeah. It sounds like it. Now you work for the ABA now, in addition to being a PhD student and a dad, you are a busy guy. Uh, yeah. And so you are the, the, the co-editor, the editor of Birding Magazine. What does that role entail? Yeah. So it's the main thing to say is that it's, it's like a, it's just a, I'm so happy and so lucky to have this position. It's such a joy to put the magazine together uh, in terms of like what the dimensions of the job are, you know, as many readers or excuse me, listeners are probably aware, like Ted Floyd is the longtime editor and also Michael Redder, Michael Redder edits um, special, a couple special issues a year at the magazine um, and so what the, the, the way it's, the work is broken down is that we have six regular issues of birding every year. And Ted had some writing projects that he wanted to pursue a couple of years ago. And so he offered, I was the book reviews editor, uh, okay. which was like, a, yeah. So, okay. So Rick Wright was the book reviews editor for a long time. Uh, like I think about a decade and I had written for him and I had contributed to, to birding magazine in a few other capacities, some feature articles and interview once. Um, and so Rick stepped down as the reviews editor. And so Ted and Rick offered me that position. It's just like editing that column. Mm -hmm. And I was really into that. And that was, that meant a lot to me. And I was very excited to do that. And so I was doing that for a few years and then Ted, um, has opportunity to pursue some, some other big writing project that he's working on. And so he wanted to go halftime. He wanted to have someone do three issues a year and he would keep doing three issues a year, which sounded good to me. And so I uh, was able to, you know, be promoted and to do that. So I'm like the halftime editor. And so I do three issues totally by myself and he does three issues. Totally so that's by how it works. I wondered how the work was divided. That sounds perfect. So yeah. you have some times when you're really busy doing that. And sometimes when you yeah. step away a little bit and get to do your other aspects of your life. Cool. Yeah, that's right. I always try to like stay on top of the work so it doesn't get too crazy, but you know, it's of course, a little bit of, of nature of the business that it gets so, crazy. So you have found a way to, to, uh, integrate your formal education into your birding passion and blend them as the editor of birding magazine. That's good job. Nice work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I feel like it's kind of interesting. I mean, it might be interesting for people to hear like Ted also has a PhD, but his PhD is, is in sciences. I, I believe it's ecology. Uh, and so he has a totally different background that also informs his work and was useful to him. And my background is like from the humanities, like English, English literature, writing. But that has a lot of relevance to the work too. And I'm able to regularly use my skills. It's been a, it's been a great, I think my skills, the skills that I got in my higher education have helped me a lot to be able to make um, the magazine and do a high quality product. Um, and so I'm very, very happy with 
with how that has turned out. Um, yeah, it's been very, it's just, I'm, I'm really glad about that. Yeah. Thank very you. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm super happy for you. It sounds like great. <laughs> uh, you know, I, don't, I, so many birders, uh, uh, have found ways to, you know, have part of their work be birding. And, and a lot of us just have a passionate hobby and there's many, many ways to make it all work. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, aspirations for major writing projects yourself? Yeah, definitely. I I would say I have um, two main projects. One is I would like to, when I finally do finish the dissertation, I would like to eventually turn that into a book. Um, it's going to be close when it actually gets finished anyway, but I, I would like to work on it a little bit more and fill some things out. And I mean, it's a little tricky because like I have to get it approved by my dissertation committee, mm -hmm. which are, which is, you know, people who are looking at it as scholars look at right. you know, a piece of work like that. Uh, and so it's a, it's a different audience than like a popular audience or yeah. something. Um, but, but yeah, I think, so that that's one project I'd like to, to have received a wider audience. Definitely. And that was one reason why I picked field guides. I think I mentioned it wasn't originally what I was planning to do my dissertation on. It wasn't what I was thinking I was going to do when I started applying to PhD programs. I had a few ideas of what I wanted to do, and none of those were about field guides. But actually, what happened was I had one this one project. I had this one project in the first year that it was kind of a neat project. It was I. It was my chair was the professor. My, he's now he's my chair. He was the professor of this class, and I had to do this project where I had to look at and I talk about this in um in the the program that you saw. Uh, I had to look at um, uh, different editions of a book and talk about how the different editions, like what, what, how do they influence like the different understandings of, of, of that, of that same work. And right. I was, I had some ideas of what I wanted to do. I thought about doing different versions of uh, Alfred Russell Wallace's um, um, Malay Archipelago uh, book. And, you know, I had some different books that I, you know, was thinking of, okay, there's like these different editions include different things, but then uh adrian my wife was like maybe you should do a field guide because you know a lot about that and i was like <laughs> and i did peterson i did the six editions of peterson uh and um and and that was a good idea <laughs> so it was our idea yeah i it was fun here it was fun hearing you talk about that on the on the yeah. youtube yeah so so that expanded into my entire project very cool yeah. very yeah. cool it's uh fun how some things are just meant to be yeah. <laughs> so, so the ABA is a pretty cool organization. It has a, a lot of well, uh, it has a lot of uh, conservation emphasis, but historically, it's been a, a a place for birders to learn. It's a lot of field identification stuff and natural history stuff. Uh, really good feature articles, uh, interviews with with different people. Uh, but you have a new uh, a new uh, uh, CEO, I guess, uh, executive director now, mm -hmm. uh, Wayne Klockner, uh, and he comes from a conservation background. So I've I've heard a couple of birders ask me if, you know, is the ABA going to just become a conservation organization now? Is that uh, is that a, a concern? Uh, not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, birders want to hear about birding. They don't want to just hear about the the conservation issues how, is the ABA's direction changing or how do you see that all working out? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, 
So the brief answer is no. The, the direction of the ABA is not changing. The ABA's core mission is to promote birding and birders. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Um, Wayne is like, first of all, he's a really nice guy. I really like him. I think he's going to be a great head uh, of the organization. Um, Wayne, so Wayne spent most of his career, as you mentioned, as being a conservationist. He worked for um, the Nature Conservancy in various different roles uh, and for different chapters. But he's like, he's through and through a birder. Like he's really a birder. And oh, so okay. he's he's kind of a like a perfect fit for the APA in that sense, I think, because he... I mean, what the ABA does is not principally conservation work. The ABA doesn't like acquire land or anything like that, which is part of what Wayne did when he, like throughout most of his career with the Nature Conservancy, I believe. Yes. Uh, I don't think I'm misrepresenting that. So, um, but what the ABA does promote birding and, and birds uh, is, is adjacent to that work. And so he's really like a nice match for us in that way, because his previous work will be very good. And like his network and stuff like that will be really nice for informing the work that we are already focused on doing. Um, so we're not pivoting towards like acquiring land or anything like that. Um, he just I think Wayne just wants to continue and to sort of reinforce uh, what we do about just encouraging birders to also become conservation advocates so we're not going to cut out any like the cool stuff about um field id and skill building and all the stuff that makes people interested in the aba and want to be members um that's we're still doing that that's still that's that's like that's, that's core aba um so yeah so it's just it's an exciting time to to be involved with the aba and I, i'm glad to be in the position that it I is am. yeah, yeah I, i'm gonna you. go back to something i heard you say on this uh youtube you talked about and I'll butcher this name, Aldo Leopold, who wrote yeah. uh, a sand uh, a sand county almanac. I'd never heard of a sand county almanac or uh, Aldo Leopold before you said them, but I kind of looked into that. And you ha you had a uh, and this isn't a quote; it's a butchered uh, paraphrase. Uh, but you said something. He said something to the effect that you know, in order to really care about an organism and conservation it really helps to know the name of the organism and to have mm -hmm. some personal uh relationship or know about that organism so you know by birders being a by a person becoming a birder and knowing how to recognize a bird and kind of having a relationship with that bird that bird comes back every spring i oh where's the black throated gray warbler this spring or whatever uh, mm -hmm. and having kind of a relationship of sorts it really uh, moves you to be more interested in conservation of the habitat and that species. And and so I thought that was a, he said that in like one sentence, was much more eloquent than what I said, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I, it was like, wow, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're talking about is like really kind of like at the nexus of what ABA can do and how, or, you know, one of the main ways ABA can like, um, support conservation efforts because you know there's a lot of animals and birds and you know wildlife that and plants that are very recognizable and you know sometimes they're threatened and it's kind of easy for the the public to understand but um then there's there's some birds that are like really it's, they're like birders birds you know they can be like highly threatened and it can be hard to find 
or they can be hard to identify or both. And so when you have organizations that sort of like help the public develop that sort of like environmental literacy, which is like a lot about what my field guide project is about, um, that can help with conservation efforts because, you know, it's it's like it's like uh, Leopold said, you, first you have to know to care. Yeah. Uh, and so, and he said that succinctly, but he also said it in a very uh, elaborate way too. You know, he's, I'll try to come up with that quote and put it put it in a, the blog yeah, post sure. I do about each episode because I can't remember. I'll I'll listen to it three times and write it down, and maybe you can write it down and send it to me. But anyway, it was a pretty cool quote. I have to say that, and it's so true that uh, I, I had as a guest some time ago a fellow who does videos of, of different a videographer and he was mm. doing a project where he was uh, doing a video of salt marsh sparrows in their nesting uh, habitat mm, and and, and the uh, the race that they're under and I never yeah. I never thought about this but they have to lay their eggs at a at the low end of a tide cycle and they have to basically fledge their young before the high tide floods out their nest so they have a very mm-hmm a very finite window uh, in order to hurry up, get your nest laid, get those eggs laid, get those young hatched. And that mm-hmm. rising sea levels are making that window shorter and shorter and shorter and, and may yeah. lead to the extinction of that species if they if they can't adapt or new habitat's yeah. not developed or something. So it was, you know, and I mean, you know, see, uh, salt marsh sparrow is not exactly, you know, something that most people have even ever heard of. So, but birders right. should know about it. That's, right. Right. Yeah, that's a perfect example. You know, it's a, it's a hard to see bird one, hard to identify. Right? I mean, you know, it looks yeah. like other some looks other like birds. A, it's uh, one of those LBJs. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and some very similar species, and it is threatened. It is threatened. Uh, uh, and you know, so it's like it's good to raise awareness of those kinds. That's a really good example. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I want one other thing I wanted to talk about. The ABA has a new thing, the ABA community. Uh, it, it's like a kind of like a FaceTime, Instagram-y sort of community. I don't know how to exactly describe it, but it, it's like a, a community. It, it's a social media network for birds, sort of. Uh, but it, it is that catching on? Is that uh, getting to be popular? Is there going to be a, an app for that? I don't think they have an app for it right now. And gosh, without it being an app, uh, who, how, I mean, that's how people use social media is on their phone. It doesn't really work that well. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for asking about community. Um, there is an app. Uh, oh, there so, is. Okay. Yes, I, I looked yes. for it. I couldn't so, find Is it just a, is it on Apple or is it just a? I believe it is on, so you use like, like I use iPhone. an iPhone. Yeah. I think that was like the first, it, it, we, when we launched it, it did not have an app support yet. Okay. But I, I do believe. I, I haven't looked in a while. I'll check back. Good. Look, I, I'll help you um, get it or I will like connect you with, I, I'm not, Greg is really, <laughs> Greg Neese is the one who like, yes. really knows this stuff. Um, But, but I'll help you or I'll connect you with Greg. Um, okay. I, yeah, so, I haven't yeah, looked that hard. Have, I'm sure I can find it. Yeah, so we do have, it does have app support now. I think on like all the major systems, the last one was Android. The Android version just came out and I have Android. And so I just got the app and it's like, so, I mean, yeah, people, it's it, it, it's work, it's going well. I mean, like, so it's like, okay, so it's it's a new, so community is like wonderful, it's a new member benefit that we launched. The, the interface is like, the interface is the most similar to Facebook, I'd say. And it's just kind of like, it's a cool space because 
everyone there is a birder and everyone's like an APA member. And, you know, I mean, I, I use it, but uh, people, people are nice and they're interesting discussions. And it's kind of a nice like member benefit we've had it. Like I really, you know, credit to Greg and, and, and David Hartley um, for, for conceiving of and executing it. And there's some other things about it. Like sometimes we do programs where we have guest speakers talk about different topics um, and you can see those through community. So there's like that other aspect to it. And, and it has like over 2000 people on it already, cool. I think. Cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, I'll look into getting the app. I have to say, I, I haven't used it that much because uh, by the time you get your computer out and it just, it, it's not very handy, but cool. Cool. It's I'll, key to I'll have the out. app. I agree, but I I'll think I'll I check think... out. I'll, yeah. I'll find it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> bad on me there. Bad on me there. Anyway, Frank, thanks so much for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. Are there are there sort of parting comments, things you wanted to talk about? How would somebody get a hold of you? Oh, I have one more question. Uh, sure. I uh, If somebody had a great idea or thinks they have a great idea for an article for Birding Magazine or thought they wanted to submit an article or how, how would somebody go about doing that? Well, you could just email me and, um, you know, pitch the idea and my email is F, and then my last name is Aguirre, I-Z-A-G-U-I-R-R-E at aba.org, and pitch me the idea, and, and you know, we can, I can't take all the pitches of I course. receive, but, of course. but um, you know, I, I welcome ideas from, from people who want to contribute to birding, and more broadly, I welcome feedback on the magazine um, from, from members and from any birder who who has thoughts about the magazine i really want it's really my goal and my job to make sure the magazine is the best possible version of itself so i really appreciate it when people provide me feedback well what kind of articles they like to see and what they like about the magazine what they would like to see more of um, that really means a lot to me and i do think about that i'm constantly i'm thinking about that stuff yeah very cool. Well, thank, thanks so much. People know how to get a hold of you. And uh, again, I'll write a blog post that, that has a lot of the stuff in it on the birdbander.com website. So, uh, and uh, with links to some of these things that we talked about. Frank, thanks so much for being a guest on the episode. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. I had a great time. Thank you. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast number 161 with Frank Izagari. You've learned today that you don't need to major in biology, ornithology, or science-related field to work in the birding industry. I loved hearing Frank's story and hearing about some of the less obvious ways field guides have influenced conservation and the conservation movement. As an aside, I did figure out how to download the app for birding, the ABA community, so now I can use uh, that uh, social media app on my phone, not just on the computer. It's not tough. I think there was some glitch for a few hours when I tried it, and now it's up and working fine. So uh, think about uh, joining the ABA community. If you're an ABA member or if you're not, think about joining the ABA. It's a pretty cool organization. It's not very expensive, and, and they do good stuff. Birding Magazine is worth the price all by itself. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding. Good day. Good day.